0: And there's the thumb. Okay. November the 10th, 2019, lecture discussion uh, number 83. Am I reverbing a little bit? Feels like I am. We'll try it again. November the 10th, 2019, lecture discussion number 83 on the book of Joel. A couple of lectures back, we, and by we, I mean me, ventured into the subject of collapsing superposition states, which is a fundamental of quantum physics. And Essentially, the controversy that has arisen out of this is the means of observation, or if you wish... uh, a more concise form of the issue here. Let me try it this way. Is consciousness required for the establishment of reality? That's the debate in the con, the quantum physics community. It wasn't the debate when quantum physics first began. I'll prove that, that to you in a minute, but it is now. And for those of you in the vast internet audience, a quantum superposed state is two simultaneous realities. Usually it's a wave and a particle state, and, and the wave and particle state will be reduced by observation, or the ob- observer effect, sorry, barely can talk. So, the seminal question that results then is, does the observation demand a conscious mind? And there is disagreement, of course. Ask why there's disagreement. You should know immediately why there's disagreement contemporary quantum physics has many proponents who stand against consciousness as the determiner of physical reality they say that consciousness is not a factor in the physical reality or the spiritual reality for that matter and they outright reject the spiritual reality and these these that are they can be found to forcefully insist that no science links free will to quantum uncertainty and again another fundamental and i know some of you are not familiar with this especially on the internet uh, Another fundamental of quantum physics is quantum uncertainty, or the Heisenberg doctrine, if you will. And superposition is an example of quantum uncertainty, the uncertainty principle. So along these lines, you're going to discover that the atheists in quantum physics asserting that observation doesn't require consciousness at all in any form, claiming that mechanical measurement will collapse a wave function into a particle state. And I do appreciate their confidence in their concepts and aggressiveness, but neither confidence nor aggressiveness is a substitute for reasoning, so call me skeptical. For example, did consciousness manufacture the beloved mechanical measuring device? If it did, you've included consciousness. Did consciousness observe the data from the beloved mechanical measuring device? Can the beloved mechanical measuring device actually collapse a waveform into a particle? Can it end superposition? Is there any experiment in which a measurement occurs without a consciousness observing the measurement in some form, the data or the actual measuring event? Does the, does a, is there any experiment without consciousness observing and determining whether or not the particle or I'm sorry the waveform collapsed? Does the consciousness also need to know the principle of wave particle duality? Because everything has wave particle duality, all of creation does, all of physicality has wave. You have wave particle duality. That was a Frenchman named De Broglie. How about this? Let's try this. Does observation by a computer collapse a waveform? No, it does not. Only consciousness collapses superposition. Why is that? Allow me now to uh, place the words of Max Planck into the record. Max Planck is the father of quantum physics. Uh, black body radiation, ultraviolet catastrophe, something we'll have to revisit. What are they talking about? What are the, why is this even interesting to only me? Because this is the essence of the creation. This is what is the physical reality at the microscopic level. So these debates are very important, and they're certainly important to be had in the church. Unfortunately, the church is not equipped and that's a great unfortunate aspect. Here's what Max Planck, who solved black body radiation, he's the one who understood that particles are moving in quanta or in pulses. Again, the greatest mind probably in all of quantum physics, in my opinion. You can make the case for Niels Bohr or even Heisenberg, John Bell. Those are going to be in the top four. Who's missing? Yeah, Einstein was okay. He was not Max Planck. Here's what Max said. I regard consciousness as fundamental. I regard matter a derivative from consciousness. Let me repeat that. He said, I regard all matter to be derived from a mind, from a conscious mind. We cannot get away from consciousness, he said. Everything we discuss, everything we regard as existing, postulates consciousness. There must be consciousness for existence. Max Planck. Here's another thing that he said. All matter originates and exists by virtue of a force. We must assume behind this force the existence of a consciousness and an intelligent mind in the matrix of all matter. You and I exist because there is a consciousness that is observing it and determining its existence and creating its existence. Last one for today from Max. Anybody who has been seriously engaged in scientific work of any kind realizes that over the entrance of the gates of the temple of science are written these words, Ye must have faith. Now you know why Max Planck, the father of physics, quantum physics, is never quoted in any school anywhere in the country. Besides him being right, he is contrary to the dogma of academia. Obviously, my inference today is that the consciousness of which Max Planck is addressing is the God that wrote this book through the agencies of people he selected. He used his words. Daniel, a classic case, just to repeat this for some. Daniel read what he wrote and couldn't understand it. So he went to the book of Ezekiel to see if Ezekiel could figure out what Daniel had just written. So God, the absolute consciousness, used man as an agent to write what he wanted them to write. And I am making the case that whoever spoke All of reality into existence is the one who wrote this book. The one that which Max Planck is addressing. The author of the living Bible. And he manifested himself into the physical reality. He manifested in the flesh. He added humanity as we understand humanity. And our understanding of humanity is flawed. I'll just bring that up now. And that, of course, is Jesus Christ himself. He is God manifested in the flesh. God calls himself the us, the Elohim. And it is the Elohim, the triune God, the us, who made man. And you can substitute Adam and man whenever you read the Bible. You have to ask yourself, is it Adam that he's speaking about when it says man? Because Adam is man in Hebrew. Or is it mankind? Or is it both? So whenever you read the Bible, try to figure out if it's specific, general, are both specific and general. The Elohim, the triune God, the Us of Genesis one twenty six. He made man. He made Adam, both of us, in the image of the Us. He says so. Genesis one twenty six. According to our likeness, is what he says. This is the one, Deuteronomy 6, 4, who is the absolute consciousness, the designer of all things, the giver of life, all laws, the absolute creator of all things. And I have many supporting evidences of such a conclusion that I am presenting. Aside from the statements of Christ himself, and no one but Christ has ever said these things, when you read what he said, you have you realize, okay, only God would say this, and only God has ever said it. Men have tried to uh, counterfeit it, but they couldn't understand it, and so they never got it right. Only Christ, only the Bible, says these things. Christ himself, the I am declarations being the foremost examples. I don't have time to read them all, but you should know the I am declarations. I am by itself. No one has understood this for centuries. Just the I am tells you that he is the creator of time. That's a time reference. He is in the present constantly. He sees the, or singularly. He sees time from the present. We do not. Our present, of course, have you heard me say many times, how, how long is your present? It, it, has, it has a fleeting element to it. It's not measurable. You have a past. I have a past. I won't reveal mine at this particular time. Some of you know it because you've known me for a long time. I have sworn you to secrecy by blackmailing you. I have a past and I can recognize that I have a future, but I do not have a present. Present means that I am seeing time from a position outside of time. So he, did, those are declarations that he is the one who conceived time and placed time into, installed time into the physical reality. Those I am declarations are foremost examples of only Christ saying things that God would say. Revelation chapters 1, 2, and 3 he says things that only God would say. And no one understood Revelation until, my goodness, probably a hundred years ago. The book of Daniel, no one understood. Daniel didn't understand it and we didn't understand it. He wrote at the end of it, you only understand it when the end of the age of the Gentiles has come. Only the wise will be able to read and understand the book of Daniel. Which, of course, is the complement, along with Joel, of the book of Revelation. So Revelations chapters 1, 2, and 3, what Christ says there about himself and how he describes himself, it is clear that he is God. And no one has ever described themselves as Christ has described himself in Revelations 1, 2, and 3. No human being has ever done it. And those are, Revelations 1, 2, and 3, are the more impossible to refute proclamations, in my opinion. More impossible, of course, is an infinite uh, reference. It would be like more infinity. Right? But even with all the definitive, repeated announcements from God himself, Jesus Christ, Jesus God, there is this inexplicable, inexplic- I have to have fake soda for that. There is this inexplicable, incomprehensible interconnectivity that is within all of the Bible. It cannot be explained. It's mathematically ridiculous. It cannot be even recognized. And it's in all of scripture. Every single page of this book testifies of Jesus Christ. If you can't find it, what's the problem? You're not looking well. Maybe you need to uh, see it. But it is on every single page of the Bible testifies of Jesus Christ. That is why it has been accumulated into the Bible. People ask me all the time, how do you know that this is the inspired word of God? Because its focus is on Christ, who is God. You have the triunity, the us. And listen, I recognize you have three distinct persons who are one us. That's difficult to even imagine. Another evidence, by the way, ooh. somebody pointed out that a few years ago, before I corrected this problem, that I said it 15 times a lecture. Now I get a, I get a dollar every time I correct myself from the offering. You notice I'm always reaching into the offering bag like all the pastors do. That's what's happening. Anyway, where was I as a professional? Every single page of this Bible has him on it. All of the scriptures are interwoven. That's how they determined it was scripture. If it testifies of Christ, then it is scripture. If it doesn't, then it is nonsense. It doesn't belong here. It might have some value, but it is not inspired because that is how he did it. And all of it. Is connects from the last word to the first word. It goes all the way through and all the way forward. It's extraordinary. Again, the mathematics cannot be imagined. And therefore, because of that one facet, if that's all you had, that's enough, because whoever is the author of the Bible has to therefore be who? The creator of all things. Because... His created things are also just like this. We call it quantum entanglement. They are entangled. His mind, his consciousness is displayed by the creation. Romans through 20 Let me read that for you. He says so. All you have to do is look at what I made and you will find me. Because what may be known of God... Is manifest, also evident. Let me read it that way. Because what may be known of God is evident among them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, the us, so that none are without excuse. Romans uh, 119 through 20, as you should expect, is extremely complex. Let's just beat on it for a second. What may be known of God? What's that mean? What's that imply? Because what may be known of God? What does he say there? He's implying something. The implication is that God can only be partially known. You can. There is that which is that can be known of God, and then that means what else? That which is unknown. So we have the known knowns and the known unknowns. And of course, the worst of all is the unknown unknowns, right? What can be known of God implies that He can only be partially known, and so the obvious question now is why can God only be partially known by us? Why is the us only something that we can partially know? And there's an obvious answer. He's infinite. We're not. Or I like to say, he's God and you're not God. Ever. Now there are some religions, as you know, that believe that they are gods. But they are not God. And they will never be God. They will never be infinite. Those religions, of course, are pagan. They may some know it, some don't know it, but none of them are right about being God. We've had emperors of countries who believed they were God until they were dead. Oops. We are finite. God is spirit. He's unseen as well as seen. John four twenty four. We are finite, and the finite cannot conceive infinity. You can know that there is infinity, but you can't understand it or even begin to conceive it. Okay, then let's go ahead. But what is known of God is manifest, evidence, evident in mankind, within mankind. He says, so if it's inside of mankind, you will. if you go inside of mankind, say in the uh, the heart brain issue here you will find evidences of me it's evidence inside man also inside man Christ Christ the second person of the us he added humanity so there's this hypostasis here the god man is here god adding humanity And being manifest, being evident in front of us. So both of those are there. That's why I say, is it man? Is it Adam? Is it both? In this case, is it man? Is it Christ? Is it both? Okay, so if it's it's manifest inside of us, let's just set aside the hypostatic union, the God-man, the greatest mystery of all the the incarnation if you will the mystery of godliness the number one mystery of the eleven mysteries but set that aside if within mankind remember adam man is in the image of god that's in this in this sentence as well what therefore is within man that is evidence of god that's your question what's the answer Everything. We're in the image of God and there is evidence of him inside of us. And everything inside of us is evidence of him. Every single thing. The word in, in that particular sentence, is among. That's why I read it as among. Because what may be known of God is among in them. When I say the word among, you immediately go to where? That's right, because you've been here, you go to Exodus seventeen seven, where Israel said, Is God among us or not? And he's saying here in Romans, this is why we had a problem in Exodus seventeen one through seven. This is why it came up at Matthew four seven and Luke four twelve, when Christ and Satan are in this conversation. Satan unaware that who he's speaking to is the creator of Satan. Is God among us or not? The heresy or the wicked question of Israel and Satan. So that tells you you're also in Genesis 3, aren't you? So Romans 1, 19 and 20 takes you to Genesis 3, Exodus seventeen seven, Matthew 4, 7, Luke 4, 12. It is a very complicated verse. As all of them are, but I wanted to just demonstrate quickly once again the interconnectivity of the Bible. It just it goes forever in different directions at in- incredible speeds. Ultimately, this will get you to Ezekiel twenty-eight sixteen, the abundance of your traffic, because that is the basis of the lie of Satan that was given to Eve at Genesis three four, and it's intrinsic with Genesis three fifteen, which is where God, Christ Himself on the throne, curses Satan. Because you have done this. So there you go. That's again two verses in Romans. And I haven't even begun. And if you know just that in Romans. That's going to open up Romans 1. Which is crucial information to the process. And if you have that. If you have possession of that information. Then Romans begins to. You begin to understand it so well. Because in all of that is Romans 1, 16 and 17, before Romans 19 and 20. And 16 and 17 of Romans says this incredible thing. The just, the justified, the saved, shall live how God defines living, by faith. The just shall live by faith. The gospel of Christ has the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes let me read 1, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, who believes. For the Jew first and also the Greek, for in it is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. And it is written, the just shall live by faith. The gospel of Christ has the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Believes What? Believes he's who he says he is. And he will do what he says he will do. And the justified, the saved, the the ones that have salvation, have been given salvation, they live as God defines living by faith. The gospel of Christ has the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. In it is the goodness of God revealed. In our current little time here, The dominance of, contrary, with regard to Genesis, I'm sorry, uh, Romans 1.16 through 1.20, the contrary to that, the dominance of works-based salvation has accelerated. It has gained more and more traction. People love works-based salvation. They love to preach it and they love to believe that. Works-based salvation is able to be monetized. Great wealth can be had by preaching works-based salvation. You don't make money preaching free. You make money preaching works. Grace, belief, faith, that's free. It has to be free. You've heard me say that thousands and thousands of times. Because it it is so infinite in in what what it is. The blood of Christ, one drop of the blood of Christ cannot ever be earned and it reveals the love and the mercy, the goodness of God. Which one reveals that God is good and God is wise? Grace, grace, faith, belief, or works. You have to do something to be saved. And you have to keep doing something to be saved. Or you are, and you have to give me money to say that you're doing something that will keep you saved. Otherwise, you're never saved. Which one reveals the goodness of God? Again, the obvious is obvious. And I'm going to have to concede this, though, that Romans 1.16 through 17 is seldom read in churches. It's not hardly read at all. So that, again, is a wonderful thing to know. Occasionally, Romans 1.17 will make it to the forefront. The just shall live by faith. But never, I never hear 1.16 Romans and everyone who believes. Salvation for everyone who believes. Can't make any money off of that. It's no surprise, the works-based denominations don't even know Romans 1.16 is unseverable from Romans 1.17, and both are connected to Romans 1.19 and Romans 1.20, and that takes you to Exodus 17.1 through 7, and Matthew 4.7, and Luke 4.12, and Ezekiel 28.16. They don't understand the connectivity of the Bible. They don't know about quantum physics. But I digress. I'm ranting against them. I've been told that I don't really digress. I I say that a lot. I say, I digress. And I had somebody say, you don't really digress because it is impossible to digress from a constant state of digression, was their argument. And I have to admit, the logic is unassailable. (coughs) Okay, where are we now? What are we doing? Same thing as always, pinky. We're going to look inside, we're going to look within to see that which is evident, that which manifests God, that which proclaims his goodness, that which proclaims the just shall live by faith, that salvation is for everyone who believes. We're going to look for that today. And many who long before I came through, though I am very old, this is obvious, have noted this irreducibility in the creation. By irreducibility, irre- I mean the, ex- let's just throw some examples. The atmosphere that you breathe, I'm fascinated by all of these, uh, what do we call them? They're not Star Trek. What's the other one? War, war stars. Anyway, they all breathe atmosphere. They all breathe the same atmosphere. Uh, aerodynamics is the same uh, Newton's laws are there. Now, it's true in all of the universe, uh, the uh, laws of the natural laws, they call them, which are the laws of God. It, it is ubiquitous. All of the universe has the same law structure. The lawgiver is not Moses. He is the he is the vehicle. He's the law vehicle. The lawgiver is the one who made all the laws and he made them all work throughout all of the universe. That is a uh, cosmological truth. The astrophysicists find it to be a burden. But the exact composition of the atmosphere of what we believe, believe, what we breathe, my goodness, at least I knew I was crazy. What you breathe, spend some time figuring out what would happen if that was of some other composition. So, there's an exactness to it, an irreducibility. For fun, move the sun. If it wasn't where it was, the distance of the sun. How about the gravitational uh, force of the earth? Now, I know some people do not agree that there's gravity. And to them, uh, I'm going to take that on here at some point. I, I have great sympathy for them. They I understand that gravity is a. a An unknowable thing, which is more evidence. We have no idea what gravity is, but we do know that the force of it is exactly what it needs to be. The atmosphere is exactly what it needs to be. The sun is exactly where it needs to be and at the uh, intensity that it has to be. The valve structure of the heart, we just went through this, is exactly perfect. If it's not like that, then you all would be dead now. And I know that to be the case. The delay within the sinoatrial node and the atrial ventricular node, this delay here, is critical. I know all about that. If it wasn't, then you would have simultaneous contractile problems with the ventricles and the atrials, and we would all be dead. Who made that thing like that? It's irreducible. Your heart is irreducible. Now, it gets diseased. I'm an example of that as well. But in its original state, it is irreducible. And there are thousands and thousands of examples of irreducibility, exactness, fine-tuning, if you wish, in the creation. If there is a minuscule deviation, if water, for example, sank when it was frozen, it doesn't, it floats, why is that? But if it did sink, no life would live. The oceans would be completely frozen solid. Any slight divergency in life would not have been able to be sustained or conceived. And some say this fine-tuning, as Max Planck advocated, obviously, that proof this is proof of the absolute consciousness or intelligence that has done this. Others vehemently, angrily disagree, saying everything is a result of haphazard, stupid occurrences. And the haphazard, stupid occurrences... Philosophy prevails in academia and in the secular media culture. That is exactly as Romans 1.25 and Romans 1.28 said it would be. It is what the Bible said it would be exactly. I could read it, but I don't have time. Anyway, I should expect that within or among me is overwhelming examples, in, uh, and among you is overwhelming examples of irreducibility, fine-tuning, and there is nothing in me that is haphazard stupidity. Because you know if it is a happenstance, if it is luck, if it is just a series of events that occur and there is no order to them, then it is a stupid process versus an intelligent process. An intelligent process has a design to it. A stupid process has no design. And as you know, academia tells us that everything is stupid and purposeless and hopeless and that we will all end in nothingness. And and that has infiltrated and destroyed the school system. Okay, so today will be the beginning of the autonomic nervous system. Yes, I decided to go seeker-sensitive and and visitor-friendly. (laughs) and there's going to be a vocabulary to be assimilated as in all disciplines when I first got into construction wow and of course I was in electrical physics I had to learn all the vocabulary I had to learn why I'd ask stupid questions because I was a kid why do they call it Ohm's Law Kirchhoff's Law Amperes well they were named after people the scientists that have made discoveries, uh, medicine is very much like that, and you have to learn their vocabulary. All disciplines have these vocabularies. Mathematics, athletics has it. Law, construction has it. Engineering, for certainly has it. And there, so there's this vo- vocabulary to be mastered. But the medical field may be by far the most convoluted. Now there is some sense to it. They have left ventricle, right ventricle, left descending. Artery, right descending artery, but then they have circumflex artery or uh, arteries. They have all kinds of different names. Circumflex makes some sense because it makes a circle around the posterior element area of the heart. But uh, it is my view, having gone through all of these kinds of uh, disciplines in my life, um, I, uh, physics is uh, difficult, but m- the medical field is probably the most convoluted. And that is by design, of course, because it's a means of what? Gatekeeping. That's exactly right. It's a way to refuse entry into the organizational structures. If you can't speak the language, then you can't get in. And and you have to take tests. And so, therefore, we're going to have a test on Friday, and you can't use your phones. No phones. How do I... How do I keep you from using your phones? That's right. As an electrical physics uh, student of many, many years ago, I can broadcast a system that will destroy your phones. There's one on top of this. All I have to do is access that antenna, much to the delight of GCI. Anyway, no one on the Internet knows who GCI is. They're the cell phone company in this country or in this state, sorry, country. We might all be countries pretty soon the way we're going. So, yes, we must comply to the established vocabulary Uh, and, again, the obligatory test on Friday. I used to always, in my classes when I taught, I'd always go, test on Friday. Now I go, test on Friday, no phones. The autonomic nervous system is a control system. The autonomic nervous system is autonomic. Where else can you get such insight? You're thinking, how does he do it? You might expect to pay thousands for that. The autonomic nervous system is autonomic. But this is free. You pay only shipping and handling. That's all. Anyway, autonomic means what autonomic implies. Automatic, autonomous. Some would say it's an unconscious system. It's happening unconsciously. And perhaps I believe it's better said that it operates without our conscious effort. And I say that because of my heart rate variability issues. It's been affected by ectopy. In other words, I have these ectopic structures, radio frequencies coming in through the pulmonary veins into the left ventricle, or left atrial, sorry. And they contaminate, short out, if you will, the left atrial, which causes me all kinds of grief, as you know. Me, and as I said previously, I know the names of everybody that works at Providence Emergency Room, and I know their dogs' names, I know their kids' names, and I have their addresses, and never mind. But I'm saying that there's a conscious effort element here. It's not unconscious. Intrusive frequencies that originate in my pulmonary vein, myocardium, contaminate the left atrial atrium conductive system. And I've learned to be aware of that. I can feel it. And that's really good, because a lot of people, it's asymptomatic. They don't know they have it. I told the story a while back of a very, very energetic man, uh, a high-level athlete, a skier, that was two to three weeks or so, 20-some days, without knowing that he was in atrial fibrillation, because to him, he couldn't feel it. He just felt weak. He felt disoriented, uh, a little dizzy, but he's still out there skiing with a... Atrial heartbeat that must have exceeded 300, and a ventricle heartbeat that certainly exceeded 200. So he doesn't know it. By the time he gets there, he's at such a threat for a blood clot that it's just a miracle he figured it out, or somebody figured it out. But for me, it's symptomatic. In other words, I can feel it. It's not a great feeling, but I know immediately that I've got it. Um. And I've learned to be aware, therefore, of some aspects of the autonomic nervous system. And I take conscious actions to control it, specifically the sympathetic nervous system, which we'll get to in a minute. So I have to, in order to make my operation, my surgery, I couldn't eat, I couldn't drink. So what I had to do was use my knowledge of the sympathetic. Aspect of the autonomic nervous system. Now, I'm saying these words to you to get you familiar with them. Putting them in a story form so that your vocabulary will increase. I had to do things to control the the sympathetic with the parasympathetic. Uh, But it's accurate to say that the autonomic nervous system is mostly unnoticed. It's going on in you right now and you don't notice it. It's in the background, which makes it unseen. Unseen. Which is an aspect of the God, the triune us, or the triune Godhead. But it does make itself known. And more on that later. For today, the central point, yeah, a point. in my opinion, is that the autonomic nervous system is divided. It's separated. And this becomes very important. It's separated into the sympathetic parasympathetic. And they say parasympathetic because it has a parachute. That's a lie. Sympathetic doesn't make any sense either. But for today, just know that you have an autonomic autonomic nervous system and it's divided into two Two things. Remember, the whole point of this is what is inside me that testifies and manifests itself of God. And for now, with these two, let me back up a second. Because I say there's two. Before I go, I need to interject this. Before the vast internet audience, that's you folks. Hi. Hi. You rise up in unison and you scream at me uh, that, where, where do they watch on us? Instaface is that what they're doing? Tube book. I'm aware of the enteric nervous system. I know it's there. And I'm willfully choosing to divide the, the autonomic into the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. I am saying, willfully saying, that's an intentional redundancy, willfully choosing, I'm sorry. To place the inner inner neck nervous system within the sympathetic and the parasympathetic auspices, if you will. And I'm prepared to defend that position as time goes on. But I'm confident that there are two things, not three. I'm separating out the E and S for now. And like I said, I think I can make that case strongly. So two The sympathetic division and the parasympathetic division. There's two pathways. One is from the brain stem. The second is from the vertebral ganglia. So we'll make a diagram here in a minute of the brain stem and the vertebral vertebral ganglia. Ganglia or ganglion are clusters of neuron cell bodies that contain millions of synapses. And think of them as neurological entities. Because that is what they are. And sympathetic ganglion are located close to the spinal column. So if you had a brain, some of us do not, okay, I have brain stem and I have a vertebrae. And I could draw a better brain, I could put all the little lines in there, you know, and make it look more like a brain. Or I could not. I know it's amazing, but uh, the ganglia are clusters that that uh, attach themselves on the vertebra. And as I said, sympathetic. The sympathetic ganglia are located close to the spinal column. And the parasympathetic ganglia are found away from the spinal column. So I have two ganglias. What are ganglias? Ganglias again are nerve clusters, neurological material that are clustered. I'll get you pictures of it as time goes by. But I have two locations, one that is close and one that is not close. Brain stem versus spinal column, if you will. In the sense that one, the the ganglia have to travel larger distances or have to the nerve impulse areas have to go further away. Let me make sure that I covered that well. Parasympathetic ganglia are away. They're actually near or even inside their affector organs. So you have organs that are affected by these neuro- neurological impulses or synapses. and. Understanding how that is done is going to become, I think, significant to you. The brain, the physical brain, is separated from the mind. As you know, you have a mind and you have a physical brain. The consciousness is different from the the brain material. So they're separated, if you will, by substance. And by that I mean they're different substances. The mind, the consciousness is one substance, it's not physical. The brain itself is physical. I can touch a brain. I can pull a brain out and dissect it. I can't do that to your mind or your consciousness. They're two different substances. As you know, the brain is divided into two hemispheres. I have a left and right hemisphere in the brain. I have a parasympathetic and a sympathetic division. I hope you see where I'm coming here. The brain has efferent communications that are divided into these two pathways. It either gets to the heart, for example, through the sympathetic or the parasympathetic. One comes down the spinal column and communicates to the heart. The other one comes out of the brain stem and communicates to the heart. So I have two pathways. I have two divisions that have two pathways. The sympathetic division causes the body to release energy... It increases heart rate. And it also increases the force of the heart contractions. I know all about this. So it wants the body to release energy, muscular strength. It dilates the airway. It enhances breathing. It enables the body to resist stress. It diverts energy from digestion. All of that to allow for survival. Your sympathetic division wants you to live And it's an alarm system. When it fires up, it's telling you something is very wrong now, and you have to do something here. It's called the fight-or-flight response. And those of us with uh, atrial fibrillation, it becomes important to keep that sympathetic um, pathway from becoming dominant. And I have techniques, as you are aware Whereas the parasympathetic division is restorative. It's conserving. It slows the heart rate down. You see why I like this one. It lowers the blood pressure. It allows for the repair of tissue. It processes food. It removes r- waste material. One is alarm. The other is rest. Now hopefully you've begun to notice something. How many trees in Genesis? I got two. How many witnesses in Revelation? Eleven. I have two. Israel is the wife. The church is the bride. I got two. He separates, Christ does, when he comes as the king of the world, when he reveals himself for who he actually is, he separates the sheep from the goats. Two. Genesis is about knowing good from evil. I have body and I have soul, that which returns to dust, that which returns to God. The brain has a right brain and a left brain. The heart has a right and a left. The lungs are right and left. The hands are right and left. Arms, legs too, feet too, eyes two to there's a tremendous amount of binary in the body and the Bible the image of God has put this duality in the body why did he do it I could keep going angels are not in the image of God did you ever notice that it's man that is in the image of God why aren't angels in the image of God what does that have to do with Ezekiel 28 there's heaven and hell, heaven from hell, paradise from torments, heaven and earth, Old Testament, New Testament, Jew and Gentile, clean and unclean animals. The point. Yay, the point. I would ask you to say, if this is my second point, to say, yea, another point. Yeah, just as a, an example of, yes, training. Yeah. The author, whoever wrote this book, poured in his word this division. That which you could eat, that which you eat not. Tree of life, right? Tree of death. Knowledge of good and evil. Life and death. There's salvation and there's judgment. There's belief and there's unbelief. Everywhere, the whole book is permeated in it. It's marinated in this division, this separation, this duality. And inside that which he declares to be made in his image is this fantastic twofold theme. We have a twofoldness to us. What kind of sword does he have? He has a, a double edged sword or a two edged sword. It's obviously a testimony. There's something here. There's flesh and spirit. There's seen and there's unseen. I know. Make him stop. There's water and land. There's firmament in heavens. There's light from darkness. There's male and female. Now, that's not popular to say today. I recognize that. That's what he did. There's no, there's no other explanation than the fact that God said there was male and female. And that has to be attacked today. And we should be aware of it and why it's so. There's law from grace. There's flesh and bone. There's efferent and efferent. Ascending and descending, that which comes from the heart and that which comes from the brain. They ascend and descend. Descend from the brain, ascend from the heart. They're both neurological, as you know. The heart has neurological components in it. To repeat, why has he done it? To be more specific, why parasympathetic innervation, innervation and sympathetic innervation? What that means is, innervation is when I have this transference, if you will, to the organ. How is, How are these systems, these things reflective? How are they the image of God? What's he trying to say to us? Why did he divide the autonomic system into two? Why did he divide the brain into two? Why did he divide the heart into two sides? Why are we like this? Just so you know, there's a pre-ganglionic neuron and a postganglionic neuron. I gotta have two of those. The pre-ganglionic neuron must first synapse into, uh, onto a postganglionic neuron before innervating the effector organ. So there's a two-process in the autonomic system. It is amazing what he's done. I'm going to stop there because the rest of it is just a lot worse than that. <laughs> That's that just gets you started but if I can get through you to you today is that what you have is a duality to you not just a physical duality but you have a spiritual duality you have a substance that is not physical in you it's your mind it's your consciousness and he says in the Bible as you know Ecclesiastes 12.7 I'm the one that gave you that Genesis 2.7 I put this in you and I did it for a reason. I separated you into this twofold being. And then I gave you evidence of me inside you because you are in my image. All you have to do is figure it out. And it's figure, figure outable. Figure it outable. It's figure outableness. Absolutely it is.